0: This is the Education Gadfly Show.
1: I mean, uh, you know, charter schools are not nearly as funny as Ryan Lochte and Donald Trump. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the John Oliver of Education Reform. Alyssa Schwank.
2: You know, there are worse things that you could call me, I think. But that means you have to have a British accent. I would have. You know, I used to, when I was younger, I had a lisp and everyone in my small town thought it was a British oh. accent. And I nursed that oh, for as long
1: as <laughs> wait, I could. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Hold on. I mean, is that because a lisp sounds like a British accent or because people in your
2: small town didn't really understand what a British accent was? I was eight. I didn't really probe too deeply. But hmm. when people are like, are you from London? I was like... Yes, I am. And we'll have tea with the queen.
1: <laughs> well played, Alyssa. Well played. Alyssa's life gets more interesting every time we hear about it. I love it. I love it. Uh, the John Oliver comment, of course, uh, over the weekend, mm-hmm. he had a big segment on charter schools. Mm-hmm. Lots of folks in ed reform responding to it. Yep. Uh, here's a question I want to ask you. Did you think it was funny?
2: I mean, it's a John Oliver bit. So in terms of, I thought it was the third funniest segment that he had that night because he had a Ryan Lochte segment and he had an election segment. Yeah. But you know, he brought his usual kind of wit and candor and like his way of seeing the, um, yeah. seeing a situation. Too and let, well. let's
1: face it. I mean, uh, you know, charter schools are not nearly as funny as Ryan Lochte and Donald Trump. Uh, no,
2: but few things are these days.
1: Okay. Uh, also sad too, but we don't want to weigh <laughs> in on the sadness, especially the Lochte thing. I mean, I didn't just still basking in the glow of the Olympics. I feel he like was exactly what the country needed. And The whole Lochte thing, it just bums me out. So let's just try to ignore it as much as we can. Okay, but that is easy because we are not here to talk about the Olympics or politics. We're here to talk about education reform. Of course, uh, there are overlaps, at least with politics, right? Uh, So Alyssa's here, and so is our colleague, Brandon Wright. Brandon, welcome. Thank you. Welcome to Ed Reform Update. I still, Audrey. Where's the music? When are we gonna get the music? You
2: know, I think we should just have you record the segment, and then we'll use that as you know. Music. I
1: did that once for. A, I remember I had to do a, some kind of school presentation in, in elementary school, and it was supposed to be kind of a multimedia thing. Keep in mind, back then, this is before we had any kind of you know. Uh, so, so I went down to my. I remember we had a cedar closet where it could be very quiet, and I and I taped myself singing uh, the the music from the Chariots of Fire. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, that i was going to use in the background and then i listened Singing to it this on my beat. this was on my little tape cassette and then i played it for myself i was just so heartbroken and crestfallen <laughs> when i realized that how, how bad it sounded
2: and my life gets weirder with every anecdote <laughs> yeah
1: exactly okay so what we're going to talk about today is the American people, namely what they think about education reform. Education Next out with a new poll, their annual poll on education reform. Disclaimer, I'm on the team at Ed Next. Mm-hmm. And so I've gotten to see these findings for a while. A lot of interesting stuff here. Let's uh, start with the the big stuff on testing, accountability, common core. What what stands out to you? Yeah, well, what's the headline, Alyssa?
2: I mean, I think the headline around testing and standards is accountability is parents are still broadly supportive of it, but the name common core leads for support for universal stan- or uniform standards to go down.
1: Yeah. That, I mean, fair enough. I mean, look, this, mm-hmm. I, I mean, this is certainly what our friends in the pro common core side are saying. Mm-hmm. Are we sure? Are we spinning this? I mean, it, uh, look, we're down to less than half the country saying they like common core. That's not great. Right. Or, or should thirds, we not care?
0: Two thirds want common standards. Yeah. They just don't want it to be called common core.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, it's and, and and of course you got to dig in. How is the question asked, you know, the, mm-hmm. but, but right. I mean, the notion of common standards this is why. Long ago, when Ford and when we used to make the case for common standards, we said, "Look, then the country's with us." I mean, you mm-hmm. do polls, and ninety percent, eighty percent of people would say, "Sure, why not?"
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's still a very mm-hmm. commonsensical answer to a problem that is faced by any family who's moving across state lines.
1: Yeah, and and look, the testing thing. I mean, testing has gotten beaten up the last couple of years, right? I mean, uh, big time. And yet, what something like eighty percent. 80% of yeah. people still are fine with testing. But yeah. only half of teachers. Yeah. Well, okay. So, uh, so that, there you have it, right? And you know, the question there is whether teachers would just still feel like they're being forced to teach the test or if that's really about teacher evaluation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we certainly know now from some other research that the opt-out folks are largely being driven by the concern about using tests. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, it all depends how you use these tests. All right. What about school choice? How are we doing on the charter school and school voucher front?
2: Well, charter school's pretty good. Voucher's not so good these days. Uh, yeah, um, de- declining support on vouchers. We'll
1: talk about that a little bit, including some very bizarre findings on partisanship.
2: That was what stuck out the most to me.
1: Uh, so tell us about that list. What, so what do you say?
2: I'm interpreting it correctly. Uh, vouchers, which are traditionally an initiative that have come from the right, have been, you know, kind of the domain of the. Republicans have greater support among Democrats these days, mm-hmm. particularly those for low-income students.
1: Right. Now, so this is fascinating, right? Because, you know, you go into a state legislature, I mean, yes. overwhelmingly, as you said, Alyssa, it's going to be Republicans supporting vouchers for poor kids. Uh, in some states, they've made some progress, especially in um, among some African-American and Latino legislatures. I'm, I'm thinking about in Florida, for mm-hmm. example. But still, I mean, it's pretty rare to find Democrat, Democratic politicians supporting. But the Democratic voters... Uh, Uh, say that they are okay with it, Republican voters in some cases, not so much. Here's what I think this is. Uh, I think when the question is asked about, you know, do you support giving government money to poor kids to let them go to private schools or however exactly they phrase it, something like that, right? You know what I think it sounds like to some people? Welfare, right? I mean, I think that there may be some conservatives, some Republicans out there who hear the question and say, It sounds like a giveaway to poor people to get to send their kids to private school. I can't afford to send my kids to private school. Why am I for this? Sounds like food stamps. It sounds like welfare. It sounds like, you know, a government Mm -hmm. giveaway that maybe that is what people are responding to more than stepping back and saying, well, do I support free market principles Mm -hmm. and competition? And do I think that school choice is a Mm -hmm. good thing? Yeah,
0: Yeah. I've, I've, I've been doing ed reform now for three and a half years. And I think among the big issues, vouchers probably, it, it it's 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 explained the worst like like it it it's it's just a little opaque mm-hmm. um so I just doubt that the average person really knows exactly what vouchers are, mm-hmm. how they're applied, mm-hmm. how they vary, as opposed to something like charter schools or testing or teachers, yeah right?
2: yeah, I do think in kind of going along the Mike's hypothesis, which I think could, you know, very well prove to be true. A lot more Democrats live in cities than Republicans do, or a lot more people who identify as Democrat live in cities than Republicans. And if you're from a more rural area and you're more likely to be identifying as a Republican, you're less likely to have private school options that you can get about. That's right. And and, and if you're
1: poor, you're overwhelmingly likely to be Democrats. And so they're Mm going to say, yeah, this sounds good to me. All right. Interesting. All right. Next teacher tenure. Nobody likes it except for the teachers. Except so, for the teachers. Right? I mean something right. I mean something
0: like 31% uh, are are for it. Yeah, so yeah. O- overwhelming opposition.
1: And here's the thing. I mean, we just had this 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 week, this big uh, decision in California, the Vergara case is basically dead there, that the court is not going to continue to allow this thing moving forward.
0: But apparently they're going to try the federal courts now.
1: Uh, Okay. All right. Good luck with that. We'll see how that goes. Uh, And and there are other states where similar cases are going forward and they may have an easier time because of the, the way their state constitutions are written. But, you know, you'd say, wow, overwhelming support to reform teacher tenure. Why can't we do this legislatively? Well, it's because teachers Teachers. still support teacher tenure. What stuck
2: out to me, though, too, is, you know, teachers have huge support for teachers tenure, which makes sense. But teachers also reported that they found ten percent of their colleagues to be ineffective.
1: Yeah,
0: and well, I also found it so sixty-seven percent of teachers like tenure, which actually means that thirty-three percent of them don't. Yeah, well, which, sure. which 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 I actually think is kind of
1: surprising. Yeah, well, look, and you we know that about uh, about thirty-three percent of teachers are Republicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, these may be the more conservative mm-hmm. teachers out there. Yeah, you know, Alyssa, the, to your point about teachers, they they acknowledge there are bad apples mm-hmm. out there. I I can totally appreciate that teachers who work inside this crazy system of ours, Mm -hmm. these horrible bureaucracies, right? um, You know, where decisions get made that seem to make no sense whatsoever, that a lot of teachers just don't trust that administrators are going to fire the right teachers. That's totally fair.
2: Having worked in (laughs) one of those (laughs) schools at the bottom of all of that bureaucracy. I mean, I think this
1: has always driven the fear about teacher evaluations is just a lack of trust in the people that that these -hmm. things are going to work, you know, that if they could be, convinced that the bad teachers really were going to be moved out of the classroom and the good teachers were going to be acknowledged. Uh, there might be more support for this thing, but we just have to remember teachers, a lot of teachers at least, work inside dysfunctional systems mm-hmm. uh, and they know it and I think we should empathize with them on that. All right. a good, Wait, important point. But, yeah. One last point on funding. Uh, I love the questions we ask on funding because we, we ask people if you support more money for schools, higher salaries, then we tell people, hey, uh, by the way, in your state, here's how much you actually spend on schools. Here's how much you actually uh, pay teachers. And guess what happens? Cuts the support almost in half.
2: (laughs) And nobody knows how much they're spending. Everyone thinks they're spending a lot. Undercuts it like crazy. Right. It's like those old carnival games where you're asking how much does this guy weigh or how many jelly beans are in the jar? Nobody knows. And nobody's good at estimating.
1: Yeah. But you know, uh, we can't, I mean, so we know because we're, we do this every day. Okay. Mm -hmm. But even we might be off by a little bit, but I mean, I don't know. I think about other areas. If you had to ask me. You know, what What does our country spend per pu- per person on healthcare costs every year? I don't know. I have no idea. Right, I have no idea. What does the average police department spend per citizen on defending? the I mean, I don't know, oh, right? No idea. I mean, now Couldn't it feels like schools, well, it's kind of like we know what college tuition costs. We should know how much people are spending on their schools, mm-hmm. but they don't. We, we both underestimate it, and especially teacher salaries. And, mm-hmm. and you look out there, you know... I'm always shocked. We live in this bubble in Washington, D.C. You look at what a median family income in America is, and Mm -hmm. it's always seems shockingly low. Mm -hmm. When people hear that, you know, teachers are making, you know, people have the idea that teachers don't make much money. When you tell them, well, actually, teachers, the average teacher salary in your neighborhood is, you know, $50,000 a year, they say, wait, what? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Wait, so a a family that has two teachers, uh, you know, husband and wife are both teachers is making six figures. I mean, that's news to a lot of people. I
2: mean, I also think it kind of goes to show the extent to which the money that we spend on students doesn't necessarily even make it into the classroom. You know, like per pupil funding is Mm -hmm. X level, but it goes for a lot of other stuff. And what parents see on the back end is the notes home for more paper and for more Kleenex and things like that. So I do think that. Possibly explain some of the disconnect
1: too, and and I have to say, I mean, that still puzzles me. I mean, mm-hmm. because you do the math, you say, all right, ten thousand dollars per kid. Let's say twenty five kids in a classroom. That's two hundred fifty thousand kids mm-hmm. in a classroom. We're paying the teacher fifty thousand plus benefit. Where's the rest of the money going? Mm-hmm.
0: It circles back to the dysfunction you talked about, yeah, five minutes ago, yeah, yeah. right. That yeah. that yeah. perhaps is just not being spent. Well. Yeah,
1: yeah. or, or it can't be. It, it's just hard to pin that down. Okay, mm-hmm. lots more to dig into, folks. Check it out on the Education Next website. Understand, I believe the Cap and Gallup poll comes out next week, mm-hmm. so they'll have some more findings as well. Uh, so again, things, some things to cheer from the reform side, and some things to be concerned about. Uh, but you know what? Hey, I'm just back from vacation. I'm going to be optimistic. <laughs> I, I'm going to say I'm feeling good.
2: I'm <laughs> yeah. feeling good, baby. I, it's always good to see what people are thinking about Last when you live in this uh, ed reform. <laughs>
1: In all seriousness, I mean, after all the, the stuff we watch on a daily basis that sure feels like reform is getting pummeled, uh, you know, in the news cycles, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the major things, standards testing, charter schools are mm-hmm. still uh, holding pretty strong. Uh, so I'm going with that. All right. That's all the time we've got for that segment. Now it's time for everybody's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. <laughs> Joining us this week, Dara Z. Handler. Welcome back to the show.
3: Thank you. It's been a while. Yeah.
1: Amber on a well-deserved vacation. Do you think Amber reads research studies while she's at the beach?
3: I really hope not. I hope not.
2: <laughs>
1: but I think she might.
2: I don't know. I'm going to the beach in a few weeks and I did pick up Hillbilly Elegy to oh, read on the beach I after think... Robert strongly recommended it.
1: Yes, I, I think. Yeah, I think that all makes sense, uh, Dara. I have to ask you, Dara is wearing a dinosaur dress. Uh, did you? Is this? Is, do you shop for this at special stores for science teachers, or where do
3: you find a dinosaur it's dress? Very
2: Miss Frizzle, and I mean that in the best yes, way possible. Yes, it is very
3: Miss Frizzle, exactly. Uh, because it's a podcast, I'm wearing a navy blue dress <laughs> with a bright red dinosaur print on it. I believe yeah. they are brontosauruses, uh-huh. and the very short version of what could be a very long story. <laughs> is that I searched and found it on Amazon.
1: Oh, awesome. I love, see, there you go. It's, it's the, the long tail in action there. there <laughs> there's a market for everything. Okay, hey, what you got for
3: us this week, Dara? Today's piece is a joint effort from the National Council on Teacher Quality and the Brickings Institution. It's called High Hopes and Harsh Realities, The Real Challenges to Building a Diverse Workforce. Hmm. Uh, the authors wondered how wide is the demographic gap between the current teaching workforce mm-hmm. and the current student population? Okay. How wide will that gap be in the future? Mm-hmm. What are some causes and what would most effectively close that gap? Mm-hmm. To answer the questions, they pulled together data from a bunch of sources, including the census and NCES. They used both descriptive analyses and projections. And before I tell you what they found, two no- notes, especially for Mike.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: First, the assumed goal is to build a diverse workforce mm-hmm. so that students interact regularly with adults of their own and different races. Mm-hmm. Research cl- clearly shows that this is beneficial for both student achievement and student behavior. Yep. And second, the authors acknowledge that diversity does not replace teacher quality mm-hmm. as a driver of these positive outcomes. Right. right. So it is right. one goal, but not the only goal. Right. All well said. On to the results. First, currently the pool of available minority teachers does not match the diversity of students now at all. Mm-hmm. And the mismatch will get worse in the future. Mm. Minority students are half of the public school student population. Minority teachers are 18% of the current workforce. Mm-hmm. The gap is particularly large for Hispanic students and teachers, mm. uh, especially now. And it's going to get much worse in the future. Um, and talk about what that is if you want. Um the researchers identify four causes of the mismatch, okay. which they call leaks at various points in the teacher pipeline. Descriptive. First, a smaller proportion of the black and hispanic populations earn college degrees, which you need to be a teacher. Yep. Second, a higher proportion of white college students major in education compared to minority college students. Hmm. And a higher proportion of white education majors actually want to become teachers. Right. Yep. Uh, Third, white education majors are hired at greater rates than a minority education majors. So they're prepped to be a teacher. They're ready and want to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. But white majors are hired at greater rates. And Mm -hmm. fourth, white teachers have higher retention rates than minority teachers. Again, a bunch of reasons. You can go into it Mm -hmm. if you want. But here's the important part. The researchers project a hypothetical situation where college completion, education majors, teachers who are actually hired, and teacher retention occurs at the same rate across races and ethnicities. The idea is to figure out which of these four leaks in the pipeline would have the greatest impact Mm -hmm. on the mismatch if you plugged it. Okay, I like it. So two of the leaks are pretty easy to address because districts can control them. Mm -hmm. Hiring people who are ready to be teachers Mm -hmm. and retaining teachers. Unfortunately, initiatives that might equalize hiring and retention across races won't meaningfully affect the mismatch, according to the projections. Mm. Increasing the proportion of minority college students majoring in education would significantly narrow the mismatch. But that's really arguably the hardest to implement because there are a lot of competing forces. Other Mm -hmm. industries are Mm -hmm. also trying to build a diverse workforce. Mm -hmm. Plus, we do not exactly make teaching lucrative or appealing. Mm -hmm. So convincing people to be education majors is hard. Increasing college graduation rates would also narrow the mismatch. Again, more so than hiring and retention. But according to the author's models, the best approach is a combined one. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, the authors recommend that policies target the beginning of the teacher pipeline, increasing college completion and improving workforce conditions mm-hmm. so that more minorities are interested in education. That yeah. makes sense, plugging the pipeline before it starts leaking. It's fascinating
1: in that as I think about uh, I, I'm always fascinated by this, this argument some people make that Latinos today in, in some ways are like Italians 100 years ago. Obviously, for obvious reasons, my last name, I find this something somewhat fascinating, right? But that, you know, if you look at Italian-Americans over many generations, you've seen that, uh, you know, my people have made it a lot of progress, right? And it does, you know, it, it, every generation has done a little bit better. In terms of assimilating into the culture and into the economy, uh, and and rising uh, up through the professions and the like, and one of the important steps along that way was a lot of Italian Americans became teachers. I remember coming into this field and realizing there's boy, it seemed a lot of these Italians that are in these positions of leadership or that you would hear about as educators, uh, and and that you know it's a common story that when people your first your generation to go to college, that teaching is one of those again first kind of rungs on the ladder that some people might use. And so I'm surprised that there's not a similar dynamic among Latinos, that this uh, that teaching might be seen as, you know, a good route to the middle class uh, for this rising generation. Mm-hmm. And, wh- you know, is there something different that's happening among Latinos than what happened, say, for Italians or even you know, for Jewish people 100 years ago or other immigrant groups over the years?
3: So I, because I only had a minute, um, I was... Lumping together um, Hispanic and Black and Hispanic yep. potential teachers, um, the paper actually separates these out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the with the Blacker African American population, a lot of it is because there are fewer people, adults who want to be teachers. Yeah. With the Hispanic population, it's actually more that the student, the Hispanic student population is outpacing right. the okay. number the of the
1: growth students. is just so right. huge.
3: Right. Um. So so that is part of it. Um, but also, I think you hit on something which is really important in that people now enter college at the same, at a proportional rate across different races and ethnicities that's mm-hmm. proportional to the population. Right. It is the college completion yep. Yep. that is that is difficult. And so it is very possible that Hispanic students are seeing this as a path to the middle class and they are entering yeah. college with that in mind. But but they're not completing and they're yeah, not
1: and, and I've done some analysis that shows that, you know, for Latinos, for Hispanics, you, you see that there is still a fairly sizable percentage that are coming into college, college ready. They've got the reading and math skills to succeed, to not end up in remedial education, but they are still not completing. So I think that's where some of the higher ed reforms around the completion agenda mm-hmm. could really pay off big time. Uh, and maybe that could help on the teacher front as well. I think that's right. I'm in a glass half full mood today, Dara. So Very I'm trying to, to look at that.
3: Uh, well, I'm always in a glass half full mode and I completely agree with you. <laughs> okay, well, good. No,
1: important stuff. Uh, kind of sobering uh, if you look at their headline finding, but it sounds like there there are some things we can do and let's get to it.
3: To at least narrow the gap, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, thanks for joining us, Dara. That's all the time we've got for this week. Until next week. I'm Alyssa Schwank. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off. The
3: Education. The Education Gadfly
0: Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C.
3: For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.